Hosanna. 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 Come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord up his sleeves and he's pulling on a race With his thunder in his foot, something lightning in his face And the Lord wasn't choking when he kicked him out of feet It wasn't for no reason that he shared his blood It's only sweet as something so you better be believing God is an awesome Lift your voices In the void of the night, he spoke into the darkness and created the light. Judgment around, he put on sun, mercy and grace, he gave us at the cross. I hope that you have not too quickly forgot that our God is an awesome God. Lift your voice, our God is an awesome God, he reigns. It's an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with a wings. Some power and love, our God is an awesome. Lift your eyes and sing. Our God is an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with a wings. Some power and love, our God is an awesome. For the last time, our God. Our God is an awesome to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit this evening. Oh, Jesus, Lord, we worship you. We worship you, we worship you. 
us, but lifted up. You are holy. You are holy. Is our Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you, Lord God. We thank you for your awesome presence. We submit this evening meeting, Lord. Even as we are hungry to learn the word of God, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. Reveal the scriptures to us. Enlighten us, O oh God. Give us the revelation, O oh God. Today, Lord, let there be transformation in each one of our lives, O oh God. Holy Spirit, take control, O oh God. We submit ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you give the best clap offering to Lord Jesus tonight. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Kindly be seated. Thank you for joining uh, this evening meeting today. Trust each one of us would be blessed. We'll receive the word of God. Amen. We're so privileged to have Dr. Neil Patterson, this night, minister the word of God, especially on kingdom parables. Amen. Would you put your hands together and warmly welcome. Come on, big round of applause for Dr. Neil Patterson. Thank you, Pastor. Very good evening, everybody. I'm humbled and uh, appreciative of the fact after a busy day at work, most of you, you give your time to come and study the Word of God, and I admire you for that. And I appreciate people that have a, a hunger for the Word. All right, now, the subject matter is Kingdom of Heaven parables. And what I want you to understand is that most of Jesus' ministry had to do with the Kingdom. He spoke more on the Gospel of the Kingdom than he ever did on the subject matter of the gospel of salvation. Now, the word gospel, of course, just means good news. And so the gospel of salvation is the good news of salvation, whereas the gospel of the kingdom is the good news of the kingdom. Now, there's a lot of confusion in the minds of some Christians as to the kingdom. Because many believe that because they're born again, they are already in the kingdom. And that we call kingdom now theology, which is taught by many theologians and many churches. Because they say the moment we're born again, we're citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Now that is true. We are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Now I am from New Zealand. And I was born there. And naturally, I have citizenship in New Zealand and travel on a New Zealand passport. However, I also have citizenship in the other side of the world, 
in the country of Ireland because my family migrated to New Zealand from Ireland, which enabled me to apply for Irish citizenship, which I have, and I also have an Irish passport. So I have what we call dual citizenship. Now, although I am a citizen of Ireland, I don't live there. And although you are king, uh, citizens of the heavenly kingdom, you don't live there. You're here on earth. Is that quite clear? And one day, you will be in the heavenly kingdom. But at the moment, you're not. You're here on earth. And so that is the heavenly kingdom. And to be a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, one needs to be soundly born again, which I'm sure all of you are. But the kingdom that Jesus was talking about primarily and spent most of his ministry teaching on is his kingdom, the coming messianic kingdom, where Jesus will soon return and rule and reign on this earth for the duration of a thousand years. And he has given the opportunity for all those who are judged worthy of the kingdom to share in that rulership. And that's why in such scriptures such as Revelation 3.21, the promise to the Laodicean church, Jesus said to him who overcomes, Will I grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame and am seated with my father on his throne? That is the coming kingdom. And that kingdom is not yet and won't be until Jesus returns. All right, now I want to take you to the first of the parables that I want to share with you. In Luke's gospel, and we're reading in the 19th chapter, Luke's Gospel, and we're reading in the 19th chapter. And we're reading from the 11th verse. Luke's Gospel, 19, and reading from verse 11, and it says, Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. And so whenever we read a parable, we've got to understand two things. Firstly, to whom is it told? And secondly, why is it told? Now in this particular incident, Jesus is addressing his disciples. And the reason he's telling this parable, it tells us there, is because they thought the kingdom would immediately appear. And so Jesus tells the parable, beginning at verse 12. Let us read it. It says, Therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called his ten of his servants, and he delivered to them ten minas, and he said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, 
He then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you. Because you are an austere man, you collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping where I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take this man, take the, the mina from him, and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. And Jesus replied and said, For I say to you that to everyone who, will be, who has will be given. <clears throat> and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Very interesting parable. All right, but the reason Jesus told it is because they thought that the kingdom would immediately appear. So he tells the story. He said, a noble man, he says, a noble man went, uh, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And, of course, the parable is alluding to himself in that he was leaving the disciples to go back to his father. And one day he would come back with a kingdom because it says that he went away to receive for himself a kingdom to return. Now, what do we mean by a kingdom here? What is a kingdom? Is it a collection of people? Is it a parcel of land? A kingdom is a right of authority to rule. And Jesus will return with a mandate of authority to rule and reign over this entire world, which was created by God. And he will rule all nations, the Bible says, with a rod of iron. That is the coming kingdom. That is the messianic kingdom that Jesus spent most of his ministry talking about. Now, I could take you to many scriptures, and I'll just allude to one or two. And I'll just pluck one or two out of the book of Thessalonians where it says, See then that you walk worthy of the kingdom to which you have been called. Or take heed that you be judged worthy to enter 
the coming kingdom. Or you could even read from Peter in 2 Peter and in chapter 1 where he says, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance brotherly kindness and so on. He said, if these things be yours, you will neither lack nor be unfruitful. But he who lacks these things is short-sighted, that is, myopic in vision, and has forgotten the reason for his salvation. Therefore, give even the more diligence to make your calling and election sure that unto you might be ministered an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You see? And, and so on that basis then, that we have to give diligence to make our calling and election sure, implies straight away that it's not guaranteed just because you are Christian. In fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, as he was drawing it to a conclusion in chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel, he says, not everybody that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom. That is his coming messianic reign. Not everybody that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but those that do the will of my Father which is in heaven. So you see, there is a requirement. There is a requirement. All right. So he tells this parable then, putting a challenge on the disciples that if they wanted to be citizens of that coming kingdom, then they have to be merited worthy to enter that kingdom. And that will be determined by their degree of servanthood. And so he says, this nobleman, before he departed, he called ten of his servants, and he delivered to them ten minas, that is, one mina each. All right. Now, what we're going to realize is that there is coming a day of judgment, as I've alluded to, when we will stand as believers before our Lord Jesus, and we will have to give an account of our lives to him. That is, we will be judged by everything we have done or failed to do that we should have done and by every word spoken by our mouths. The Bible tells us that. And we will all stand before him in judgment. Now then, at that judgment, the purpose of the judgment, it's a believer's judgment. It's got nothing to do about judging us to whether we're saved or not saved. Because if we're not saved, we wouldn't be at that judgment. It's a believer's judgment. But the judgment is to ascertain the degree of reward each one of us should receive. And uh, I just uh, cite a verse of scripture in one of the easiest chapters in the Bible to find, which is Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible. And if you turn there for a moment, Revelation 2, uh, sorry, 22. And there we read in Revelation 22, in verse 12, Jesus speaks and he says, And behold, 
I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And so you see, to qualify for the reward that Jesus is bringing, to give to every man, it's going to be given according to their work. And so how big our reward will be will be determined how much we have labored toward the coming kingdom, how much we have labored during this time that we have uh, been here on earth. And so servanthood is one of the most important aspects of responsibility to the Christian. Servanthood. Because we have all been entrusted with responsibility. However, we are not all the same. And so God, in ascertaining or calculating a believer's reward, he will take a number of factors into account. One of those will be how diligent were you in working for the Lord? So diligence will be something he'll take into account. Another is ability. What ability did we have? Did we labor according to the fullness of our ability? Also, he'll take into account the opportunities we had in which to serve the Lord. And the fourth thing he'll take into account is motive. Motive. What is our motive of heart? Because God will look at not only what we have done, but he'll also know and judge us on why we did what we did. Our motive. Okay. So we're looking at this parable, and this, this particular parable deals with the question of diligence. Now, here in this parable, all ten of those servants had the same ability. They were given the same amount of responsibility. One mina each. They all had the same opportunity. Why? Because they were all given one mina each at the same time. So same ability, same opportunity. But now, he says, occupy or labor till I return. And he goes away to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Now then what I want you to see tonight is that we are all servants of the Lord. The moment we're saved, we're called to work. And uh, I often cite that verse of scripture from Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, so we're not saved. Works have nothing to do with our initial salvation. They don't. For eternal life is a gift, granted by, by the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. But the moment we're saved, as the next verse tells us, verse 10 of Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
for good works. And by those works, every one of us will be judged. But these various factors will be taken into account. So in this parable, ability is the same. Opportunity is the same. But what we're looking at now is the subject matter of diligence. Diligence. All right. So he called his ten servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. All right, verse 15. And so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, to whom uh, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. All right. Then came the first to him, saying, Master, your mina that you have given me, I've earned ten minas more with it. You see? He brought forth a profit of tenfold. Having been entrusted with one mina, he wisely invested it and gained ten more minas, making a total of eleven. A hundred percent, or at least a, a hundredfold increase. Okay, a tenfold increase, sorry. All right, and what was the response of the master? He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful with that little responsibility I gave you, you can now be ruler over ten cities. Ten cities. That was his reward. Now remember, God created man to rule and to reign in the economy of his kingdom. And that is still God's intention. We were created to rule and to reign. Now, Adam forfeited the right of rulership. And for a period of 4,000 years, as men remained in sin, they did not have the opportunity to rule and reign. But then Jesus came, and he paid the price of their redemption to redeem them, that we might now have the opportunity to labor, to be judged worthy, to enter into the kingdom. All right, so the second man came to him and said, the mina that you gave me, I have gained five minas more. And again, the master said, well done. You have been faithful over that which is little. Be thou ruler also now over five cities. That was his reward, to rule over five cities. Now, I want you to understand the differing rewards there. The first man, his reward was the privilege of ruling over ten cities. But the second man, his reward was to rule only over five cities, half the reward of the first man. Why? Because he was only half as diligent as the first man. Now, we assume, and you'll see this from the next parable that I'll share with you, we'll see that ability was the same because they'd both been given the same responsibility. 
And God gives responsibility according to every man's ability. And because they both had the same responsibility by being entrusted with one mina each, therefore they had the same ability. But one man was twice as diligent as the other. And that is why I cited to you 1 Peter, or sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, where he says, giving all what? Diligence. Giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. Virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, and so on and so on and so on. Why? Why do you have to give all diligence? And then he sums it all up at the end by saying, and giving even the more diligence. Being even the more diligent to make your calling and your election sure. Election into what? The everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And so I want you to see then that our reward, one of the aspects that God will take into account in ascertaining our reward will be our degree of diligence. How diligent have we been in our pursuit of fulfilling the responsibilities that the Lord has entrusted to us? Or do we just sit back in self-made seats of, re of, of redundancy or retrenchment and say, oh, well, I'm saved, that's all I care about. Which, sad, many Christians, that is their attitude. You know, as long as they can feel the door of heaven shutting on their backside, they just got in, <laughs> and no more. They're happy. <laughs> you see, that's not the attitude the Lord is looking for. He's looking for diligence. How diligent are we? All right. Now, then there was a third man, okay? And another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I've kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And so the master answered this man and said, out of your own mouth, I will judge you. Which means, on your very words that you've just spoken, I will judge you. Now, that doesn't look like a very good description of our Lord and Master, an austere man that reaps where he doesn't sow. No. In other words, if I can paraphrase it, the Master was saying to him, if that's what you thought, if that's what you thought, that I'm an austere man, that I reap where I had not sown, all right, I'll judge you out of what you thought, out of the words of your own mouth, I will judge you. So what's your opinion of God? How do you esteem him? Because your attitude of how you esteem the Lord will be taken into account also on Judgment Day. And so this man esteemed him to be an austere man, a harsh man, collecting what he did not sow and reaping where he um, did not sow. All right. So the master then said to him, all right, why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming 
I might have collected it with interest. At least you could have done that. All right? And so he said to those that stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. Now, the others all standing around said, but they said, hey, master, he has ten minas. Why are you giving him another one? He's already wealthy. <laughs> He's been blessed. <laughs> Why are you giving him another one? Because there's a principle here where God will take from the slothful and give it to the diligent. You see? Now, God gives to every man a measure of faith. But in what degree are we putting our faith to work? You see? And when God sees us or sees a Christian, who is slothful, lazy, and indifferent, just content to be a Christian and no more. All the abilities and responsibility that he has will be taken from him and given to the diligent. Now, that's contrary to how we work in the world. Now, I don't know your political system over much here in India, you probably don't have a social welfare system like we do in our country. But in our country, if you don't have a job, the government will pay you for doing nothing. <laughs> now, you laugh, but that's a fact. It's called the unemployment benefit. And all the unemployed people, 18 years of age and above, get a wage. And incidentally, their wage is more than the government pays my pension. <laughs> True. Because, you know, the pension which we old people, retired people get, the government pension that we get, and everybody gets it in, in our country, is 60% of the minimum wage. And uh, the unemployed get paid the minimum wage for doing nothing. So our social welfare system, and where do they get the money from to pay these unemployed? From those that work. <laughs> Their taxes. You understand? And so the philosophy of our social welfare system is take it off the diligent and give it to the lazy. Take it off the diligent and give it to the slothful. But no... God said, take it off the slothful and give it to the diligent. Why? Because he'll put it to work. He'll make more. Do you understand? And so to be a servant of the law and to, to, to receive a just and a right reward from the Lord, we see diligence is a factor that must be taken into account. So they said to him, you know, he has ten minutes. But the Lord went on to say, For I say unto you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, that is, diligence, even what he has will be taken from it. Bring, and, and so on. And so th that is the parable here. Now, as I said, why did Jesus tell this parable? Because they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Because they had said to him, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. 
Okay, so that is the first aspect of the kingdom we must understand. All right, let's look at the next one that God will take into account in ascertaining a believer's reward. And I, I'm alluding now to ability. Ability. So go with me, would you, to Matthew's Gospel and the 25th, 25th chapter. Now, these are all kingdom parables. You understand? Verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. I want you to see this is very, very similar to the previous parable we've just spoken about. Very similar. But there are differences. Now, what are the differences here? It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on his journey. Now, in, in the previous parable, we see they all got the same amount of money to invest because their, abil because their abilities were equal. But in this parable, we have differing abilities. Therefore, differing orders or areas of responsibility. All right, he gave the first man five talents. He gave the second man just two talents. And he gave the third man just one talent. Now, why did he give this man five, and this man two, and this man one? Why? He gave according to their ability. Now, this is something that we must understand. We do not all have the same ability. Now, we can read in the scriptures when it comes to such subjects like salvation or the believer's judgment. The Bible tells us that God is no respecter of persons. One doesn't have an advantage over another. However, when it comes to delegating responsibility, God is very much a respecter of persons because God knows what abilities we have or we don't have. And he will entrust to us as believers, his servants, areas of responsibility in direct proportion to our ability to handle that responsibility. And so he gave to the first man five. Why? Because he had the ability to handle five. He gave the second man two. Why did he give him two? Because he only had the ability to handle two. And he gave the third man only one. Why? Because this man only had the ability to handle one. And so from that we learn that we as believers do not all have the same responsibility. Or is it the same ability, I should say. And therefore we have differing 
responsibilities within the household of God. Now, sometimes we get envious of others. Oh, if I could only preach like Pastor Prabhu, you might say. Oh, I'd have a great reward. But I'm a housewife bringing up three or four little children. You understand me? I don't have the ability to preach like he has. No, I know you don't. And you probably never will. But God has something else for you to do. You understand? And God knows your ability. And we'll talk about this more too when we come to opportunities. You see, we look at a great evangelist like uh, Reinhard Bonnke or, or Billy Graham. And we think, oh, what great rewards they're going to be. They're going to have. And we get envious of these great men of God that we hear and read about. And they think, oh, what a great reward. If only I could have that ability. No, you haven't got it. And God doesn't expect it of you. And as a housewife, bringing up three or four children, as long as you're faithful, in bringing those children up in the ways of God and sharing your faith with your neighbours and those who are within your circle of life, your reward can be equal to that of Billy Graham's. And I mean that. I mean that. See, God hasn't all called us all to be Billy Graham. He hasn't. I used to say God hasn't called us all to be Reinhard Bonnke. I don't use that term anymore because I was preaching in a church in Singapore many years ago and I was being interpreted into Cantonese, a Chinese dialect. And I was preaching on this parable and I was being as serious with them as I am with you this evening. And when I made that statement, God hasn't called us all to be Reinhard Bonkies, I lost the meeting. Absolutely lost the meeting. They were rolling on the floor in laughter. Absolutely killing themselves with laughter. And I was being very serious. And I wondered why on earth are they laughing? And when the laughter finally subsided and we were able to invite the Holy Spirit back in again, I said to my interpreter, what did you say? And he said to me, what did you say? And I said, God hasn't called us all to be Reinhard Bonkies. Oh, I'm sorry, he said. I thought you said God hasn't called us all to ride on donkeys. <laughs> now, that's a true story. <laughs> but no, that's why I use Billy Graham now, <laughs> not Reinhard Bonnke. <laughs> no, no, we all have differing abilities. I want you to understand that. So don't, you're not in competition with anybody else in the church except yourself. <coughs> you're only in competition with yourself to do what God has called you to do. Just let me have a sip of water, Mike.
Thank you for your patience. And so then he gave this man five talents. Why? He had the ability to handle five talents. He gave the second man two because <coughs> he only had the ability to handle two. Whereas the third man, he only gave one because he only had the ability to handle one. That's why you never see me on the platform leading worship. I don't have musical ability. It's just not there. No amount of training is going to make me a musician. It's not. Why? Because I don't have the ability. I, uh, when I first arrived in Singapore as a missionary back in 1967 with my wife, I hired a teacher to teach me Mandarin. And so uh, the teacher came, and after my first lesson in learning Mandarin, my teacher quit. He resigned. <laughs> Why? Because I couldn't hear the tones. Chinese is a tonal language, and I couldn't distinguish the tones. Because I am, as my wife tells me always, I'm tone deaf. <laughs> I travel from key to key, all in the one song. That's why I have a traveling ministry in singing. <laughs> I travel from one key to another, all in the same song. All right, but joking aside, you see, that's not my ability. I don't try and compete. I'm not envious of the musicians. I love and appreciate their ability and their skill in leading us in worship. But it's not my gifting because I don't have that ability. All right, and so we differ one from another. And so he gave this man five because he had the ability to handle five. He gave the next man two because he had the ability to handle two. And he gave the last man one because he only had the ability to handle the one, and he didn't even handle that right. All right, so when the master came back, he called all of them, the three of them, to give an account. So we pick it up in the 19th verse. He said, After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came, and he bought five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. And so the master replied to him in verse 21 and said, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord, remembering that God created man to have dominion, to rule. So he said, I will make you ruler over many things. All right, now, he who had received the two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, I want you to see there that verse 21 and verse 23 are identical. They both got 
equally the same reward. Yet one man had gained five more, the other man only gained two more. But yet they both got the same reward. Because what did the master look at? You see, let me do some simple mathematics with you. The first man, he gave five talents. And the man gained five more. Five plus five equals ten. Now that's not hard to calculate, is it? I know it's a long time since some of you were in school. But uh, five plus five, at least when I went to school, equaled ten. Okay, now what is the percentage of increase? 100%. 5 plus 5 equals 10. 100% increase. Now the man that was given two talents, he gained two more. 2 plus 2 equals 4. Again, 100% increase. And because they had the same increase, they were equally as diligent. Can you see that? Now, the man that had one talent, had he been faithful and gained just one talent more, one plus one would have equaled two, which would have been a 100% increase also. And likewise, he also would have got the same reward. But let's read what happened. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed, like the other parable, that's what you thought. So then you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received my own with interest. See, so he rebuked this man just as the other man was rebuked as well. Therefore, he said, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Exactly the same principle. Take it from the slothful and give it to the diligent. Okay? For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Exact language of what we saw in the other parable. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I know that conjures up some sort of uh, imagination in your thinking that this person's probably trembling and the, his teeth are chattering or his false teeth are going dung, 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 you know. No, no, that's... It, there will be, as it says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to understand, is a Jewish idiom meaning great remorse. A Jewish idiom meaning great reward, 
remorse. All right. So they said, take this unprofitable servant and cast him into outer darkness. And that was his reward. Now I want you to see that both diligence, profitability, and slothfulness are going to be rewarded. Everybody's going to get a reward. But is it going to be a profitable reward or a reward of punishment? <laughs> Just keep your finger there in Matthew. And go with me, would you, to Hebrews. Hebrews. And we're looking in the book of Hebrews in the second chapter. Hebrews in the second chapter. And it says, Therefore, verse 1 I'm reading from, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels prove steadfast, and every transgression and act of disobedience received a what? A just reward. <laughs> and so I want you to see the infliction of a penalty or the consequences of a severe judgment on slothfulness and laziness is classified as a reward. All right? And so he says, going back now to Matthew 25, he said, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. That was his reward. Now we might think, well, you know, is outer darkness hell? No. Not at all. All right, what does it mean then? to be cast into outer darkness. Well, let me, and I was just saying this to the students this morning, only believers, only believers can be cast into outer darkness, not unbelievers. Why can't you cast an unbeliever into outer darkness? Because he's still, he's already there. He's never left it. Go with me, would you? I think it's the Colossians. Colossians, Paul's epistle to the Colossian church. And we're in chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Now, we'll pick it up from verse 9. For this very reason, we also, since today heard it, that is of their faith, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? That you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with might, according to the glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has 
qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints, where? In light. In light. We will receive our reward or our inheritance in an environment of light. Okay? He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, of his love. So how did we get into the light? By being saved. Because when we were saved, we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into his marvellous light. Where are unbelievers? They're still in that kingdom of darkness. They've never left it. And because they are in darkness, you can't cast them into darkness. They're already there. They've never left it. And so to be cast into outer darkness, one has to be in a position of light. How did we get into that position of light? Through being born again and translated from darkness into his marvellous light. And so when the time of judgment comes, we will receive our reward or inheritance in light. And so to be cast into outer darkness means that you are disqualified from any reward in the kingdom. Now, is it possible for a believer to lose their reward? Yes. Go with me to probably the easiest uh, book in the Bible to find, which is 2 John. Why is it the easiest book in the Bible to find? Because it's sandwiched between 1 John and 3 John. All right. So we're in 2 John. And verse 8. It says, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Jesus also said, as much as you give a cup of water to one of these little ones, referring to the children, you shall by no means lose your reward. Thus implying rewards can be gained and rewards can be lost. All right, and, 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 and this can happen. We can start off being very diligent and uh, enterprising, but then, you know, my master delays his coming, so we begin to eat and drink with the drunkards and what have you, and, you know, oh, well, fool around and muck around and lose our diligence, and, and then all of a sudden the Lord comes at a time we're not ready. And we lose our reward because we haven't been profitable. So therefore... Look to yourselves that you do not lose those things that you have worked for, but that you receive a full reward. All right, so to be cast into outer darkness means to be disqualified from any place whatsoever in the coming messianic kingdom. No place. You remain in outer darkness for the duration of the thousand years. You see, because what happens 
we all as believers are resurrected to stand before the Lord to be judged. If we're judged worthy to enter the coming kingdom, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Or well done, good and faithful servant, you know. Great shall be your reward and so on. Or will we hear the words, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Oh, but Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Haven't we cast out demons in your name? Haven't we worked miracles in your name? Oh, yes, they've done these things as believers. But no transformation of character. And so he said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. What will you hear when you stand before the Lord in, on judgment? I trust you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. But that's for you to decide, not me. God gives us responsibility according to our several ability. And you're not in competition with the one on your left or the one on your right. You're only in competition with yourself to do that which God has called you to do. All right, so what we've done here, we've looked at two parables that deal with two aspects of what God will take into account when he comes back and calls us to give an account of our lives on Judgment Day. That is diligence and ability. And we all have ability to some degree. Are we putting our ability to work? And what we discover is that if we put our ability to work, it'll be transformed into a skill. Now, I'm very privileged to be having been used by the Lord as a teacher of God's word. I don't say that to boast, but I've had the privilege of serving the Lord now for 54 years in ministry. And, you know, when I began, I didn't have much ability at all to teach. At least I didn't have a, a lot of skill, I should say, to teach. The ability was there, but the skill was not. You understand me? Because when I was at school, I topped my class usually in maths, physics, and science. English, in the subject of English, I was usually competing for last place, and usually I won. You understand? I was not good at English. Uh, it's not that I didn't have the ability to be good. It's just that I had no interest in it. Because born in an English-speaking country, I never learned English. It just evolved <laughs> over time. You understand me? And... Uh, I couldn't see the point of learning all the ins and outs and the intricacies of uh, what makes up the English language, the punctuations and the present particles and this, that and the other thing. It just, I couldn't see the sense of it. But I loved maths, physics and science. All right, and um, 
So that's why I pursued a career before I went into ministry of electronic engineering, specialising in airborne, airborne uh, radar equipment in the military. Because I liked physics, maths and science. You see? So therefore when God called me to teach, you wouldn't have wanted to listen to me. <laughs> because uh, I didn't have the skill of teaching. But putting that ability to work over a process of time, that ability was transformed into a skill. And I want you to be encouraged to do that. You might think, well, you don't, you know, you're not much use in the house of God. Yes, you are. I don't care whether you're a one-talent person or a ten-talent person. Put your ability to work. Put it to work. And as you put it to work, it'll grow and develop into a skill to make you a very extremely profitable servant in the house of God. I want to encourage you to do that. You see, the problem in why the world is not Christianized is because Jesus said, indeed, the harvest is truly ripe, but the laborers are few. And as I said the other day, he didn't say, indeed, the harvest is truly ripe and the Christians are few. He didn't say that. In fact, the Christians are many, but the laborers are few. Which means most Christians are not laborers. And that is a fact. In all my 54 years of ministry, I can attest to that. And it hasn't always been teaching in Bible schools. I did pastor for some 15 years. And so I know what it is to be responsible to lead a congregation. And I know who I can call on. I know who are the faithful. I know who are the diligent. I know who are the loyal. I know who are those that will see a job through. You understand me? And uh, usually it's only 10% of the congregation. Not your church, I'm talking about mine. <laughs> you see? And, and so then I encourage you to put your talent to work. Don't be like the one talent person and run the risk of being cast into outer darkness. All right, so we've looked at diligence and we've looked at ability tonight. Tomorrow night, we'll look at the other two, opportunity and motive from another parable. But our time is up tonight. It's just hit 8.30 and uh, I'm military trained. Everything's on time, including arriving at church. Very quiet. <laughs> okay. But bless you. Thank you for coming out tonight. Why don't you join with me as we just thank God for his word. Father, we do. We just bow our heads and, Lord, you've not left us in darkness. As we've read from your word, you brought us out of darkness. And you've planted us into the kingdom of light. Where, Lord, we have your written word and we have your Holy Spirit to quicken it to us. That we can be enlightened with what you require of us. The area of responsibility that you make uh, available to us. And I pray, O oh God, that as we have shared the word tonight... Oh, God, it will help us in our, motiv in our motivation 
to be prompted to excel unto excellency, that on that day of judgment we might be approved excellent in that which you have entrusted us to do. So seal your word in the hearts of you people here tonight, I pray. And Lord, I ask your hand of blessing to be upon each one gathered. That as they go home after a long day's work, probably a little weary now, Lord, give them a good night's rest and let them be blessed in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Neil, for sharing such wonderful truths. Are you all blessed tonight? Really blessed? Learn so many things. Amen. All glory to Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss tomorrow night to come back with your family and your friends. Let's learn the word of God more and more. Let's all rise to our feet. Let's look to God in prayer. Let's all just close our eyes. I request you to just take a moment to reflect on the word that, sh that has been shared. It's your time to respond. God waits to hear you. This is not just a good word to make you feel happy. This is a word to transform you, to take action before you leave the house of God. Just pray to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the word of God. So alive and so powerful. And you blessed us, O oh God, in such a powerful way. We learn things that we haven't learned, O oh God. And you showed us things, O oh Father. Lord, that the things that we need to learn, O oh Father. Lord, many times we take our lives so casually, O oh Father. But today you enlightened us. Our role in the church, O oh Father. The small things that we can do and the big things that we can do, O oh Father. Today, Lord, that each one of us will take this challenge in our spiritual walk, O oh God, that we will be a blessing to the church and to the believers around the Father. Thank you, Lord, for your servant, Dr. Neil Patterson, who ministered this word of God to us. We bless him and his family and the ministry, O oh Father. And I pray, Lord, for all the congregation members who are here, Lord. May your blessing continue to be with them, Lord. May they rejoice in your presence, Lord. Thank you for meeting all their needs, O oh Lord. Whatever their need is, Lord, right now, meet it, O oh Father. We thank you for leading and guiding us throughout this service, O oh Father. Even as they disperse and go, Lord, I pray that your presence would be with them, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Come on, church. Just give a big round of applause to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m. sharp, we'll start the meeting so please be on time god bless you do have time of fellowship and uh, see you all tomorrow